Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. We came back from a brief hiatus last week, so if you missed that episode, we talked a bit about Ohio and the filibuster. Don't miss it. Uh, and thanks for joining us this week. Alex? Joe, let's kick right off with talking about a little nugget that people might not be thinking too much about. And Joe, I want you to tell us why it might not be so little after all. I'm talking about Biden's approval rating. Yeah, Alex. Well, Perry Bacon at 538 had a great article. I really urge people to to read it. We'll have it at the uh, at the end of the uh, in our show notes, a link to it uh, about how if Democrats want to win the House, excuse me, in the Senate in 2022, Biden's ratings, his approval ratings have to stay at or above where they are right now, which is around 55% approval. I think this is something really important for people. Why is that happening? Well, it's happening because right now, a lot of the things he's getting done on COVID, on the economy moving, on getting that help to people are bipartisan, are supported bipartisan. Yes, sir, sir, there's Trumpies who still oppose those things, but there's a lot of bipartisan support for them. Uh, that's really important that Democrats keep executing that way on things that uh, are not polarizing. Of course, the Republicans on immigration and on other issues are going to try to keep forcing it back to partisan issues or polarizing issues, I should say. And that's going to be the whole play for the next 18 months. Uh, but it's real important. You know, Basically, it gets down... To the party that's holding the White House has all nearly always loses seats. We talk about this all the time. The only one of the few times that hasn't happened was back after 9-11. Bush's approval ratings were in the stratosphere um, and he gained a few seats. But that's one of the few times. But, you know, you look at the last four elections, um, midterm elections after a presidency, you know, after a presidential win. And, you know, you get back and, you know, Dems winning the House back in 2006 after Bush wins 2004. 32 seats we won that that year. And then, you know, we suffered the massacre of 2010 where we lost 64 seats two years after Obama. And back then, Obama's approval ratings in September of 2010 uh, was 42%. Um, and then you go keep, let's keep moving, folks. Trump, 2010 uh, to 2018, I mean, his approval ratings aren't really all that good. He's dripped down into the low 40s for a while there. And the Democrats win 42 seats. We win 42 seats. So it's definitely tied in a in these midterm elections. Presidential approval could be the entire, it, it, the, the vote, the seats gained in the House or lost are directly tied to presidential approval. And that means, I think, that Democrats have to be pretty disciplined about what issues we push out there, uh, or how polarizing they are, because the more polarizing they are, the more Biden's approval ratings are likely to fall. But also, can we stick disciplined on, on sticking to fighting COVID, getting vaccinations into arms, um, getting through the crisis, moving the economy with the help that we've gotten people and and not and, and not fighting. Let them have the fights that they're having right now between Trumpies and and those who are thinking of leaving their party. So Joe, you know, in, in past years it's 
it seems like a lot of, especially Democrats in swing dis- districts, are kind of almost run against Washington. They'll run against the the incumbent, even when you know you look at some of the Obama flips. But how do you? So you're saying that Democrats actually kind of need to lean into Biden this time, as opposed to running away? Absolutely, running away doesn't work. Uh, and by the way, you want a lesson in this? Look at all the Republicans who didn't run away from Trump, and even though he lost. They won in, in 2020. No, I think um, this is leaning into Biden's leadership. Um, when he's pushing on an issue, we need to push on that issue. We need to defend him against the attacks that are like, you know, absolutely inevitably going to come from the Republicans. But, but the other thing that's going to happen here, and the reason this happens, is because the, you know, the, the base that gets excited and turns out for Obama the base that gets excited and turns out for Trump, well, they're not on the they're not on the ballot, and so there's two things we've got to do. One, it's it points to Biden won't be on the ballot, but neither will Trump. So the, that Trump surge that we saw is not likely to be there in 2022, and in the end, what really drives the vote for 20 in in these midterm elections is presidential approval. Right now, Joe Biden has really good presidential approval. If it were held today, we'd surely pick up seats, not lose them. But we're a long way off, and it's going to take a lot of discipline. It's going to take following Biden's leadership on the issues. Joe, let's switch gears a little bit and and talk about what I I think we both agree is probably the defining factor in American politics over the next 10, 20 years. It, It really quick demographic change. It's not the sexiest thing you've ever heard, but more and more key battleground states are going to look a lot different than they are even right now. And from the look of things, from everything we're seeing, uh, Republicans are really trying to hold on to their power really, really aggressively with a lot of these voting laws. Joe, let's dive into kind of the why on some of this stuff. Well, this is another one where uh, this time it was Ron Brownstein uh, article on CNN that really, I think, captured what this is all about. He quoted Ron Fournier, one of my favorites, uh, who called what the Republicans are doing is akin to, quote, stacking sandbags against a rising tide of demographic change, unquote. Uh, And that just says it all. What this really is about is Republican tactics, this all these voter suppression things are aimed at holding the the strength they have right now, and and like Ron Fournier said, just stacking sandbags against this sea change that's happening demographically in states like North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Arizona, Texas. Um, the shifts in the electorate's composition are eroding decades of you know virtually uncontested GOP dominance in a lot of these states. And we're seeing that that's what... They can't hold on to any longer without changing the rules. So that's what they're trying to do. And what they've got, what we're watching is, you know, you have a declining senior population uh, versus versus a surging younger population. And the younger population, you know, majority of people under 18 right now are people of color. Whites still make up the majority in these states among seniors, like 75 percent. Yeah. Uh, uh, and more. So what you're seeing is this sea change. Now they're trying to hold off that onslaught 
of younger uh, voters, people of color entering uh, and, and, and hold them off, it's, it, it won't work long term. But they can delay this for, for a decade. And part of that will be just the redrawing of the lines they're going to do, uh, not just the voter suppression stuff, but with reapportionment and redrawing the congressional lines. So I think this piece by uh, Ron Brownstein is one of the best I've, I've seen written about this. Uh, he really lays it out. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of things that we have to look at. Uh, three key states where this is going to become obvious quickly are Florida, Georgia, and Arizona. And we already saw this in the two, 2020 race, just the change in demographics and what's happening uh, in the change of the politics of those states. But by 2028, non-whites will rise to become a clear majority, 55 to 61 percent of the 18 to 29-year-old eligible voter population in those three states. And so you see that, and obviously over that same period, it's eight years, folks, uh, a lot of the seniors, um, older Americans, the, the older white Americans in particular, that percentage will decline. And that shift by 2028 is going to be a really significant one. But it just points to why the Democratic Party has to do what we need to do to pass H.R. 1 and to organize right now in places like North Carolina, again, where there's hundreds of thousands of people who haven't been registered. We need to get them registered. We need to, to make sure to stop voter uh, suppression with H.R. 1, with real reform, and at the same time, recognize that the Republican Party, it's back up against the wall. That's why they stuck with Trump. This is why they're pushing this divide, this polarization. Can they hold the, you know, and expand even deeper uh, from older white, non-college educated, non-urban white voters? Can they, they, they need to expand that if they can by making this an us versus them fight and by suppressing our, the, the vote of uh, younger people and people of color. So, uh, and, and again, I urge people to read the article by uh, Ron Brownstein. It really uh, has a lot of useful information, but the two things we need to do, pass HR1 and organize, organize, organize. Make sure that we're funding things like Fair Fight uh, in Georgia. Uh, look for organizations like that in North Carolina and these other states. Uh, that's going to be really important to to because if we don't win this battle in 2022, they really can delay this 10 to 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 20 years. Well, Joe, it's it's interesting. This this article really is. It's almost like it's the Republican roadmap, right? I mean, they they've seen yeah. this. They've seen it coming. I, I kind of go back to when I was reading it. One of the things you've always told me when we're making ads is, who are you making these ads for? Who are the people that are actually going and voting? It 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 ain't. 25 year olds. So the question is, how do we, is there anything we can do with seniors right now? Or do Democrats just have to lean in and try to get as many of those, those young people out? These aren't either or questions. We have to get more younger people engaged. You know, there are issues, climate change and other things, you know, that, you know, their futures at stake is in a lot of ways more than most, not, definitely not the seniors. So 
I think this is, again, trying to make sure, or again, organize, engage younger voters, uh, meet them where they are on the issues, get them to understand how important, you know, they didn't want to, if your vote wasn't important, the Republicans wouldn't be trying so hard to stop you from voting. So we got to, that, that, that's one thing. But yeah, there are a lot of issues uh, and things that we need to do. We need to expand beyond just our base again for 2022. That's going to be incredibly important with just three or four, you know, uh, you know, majority of a handful of house seats right now. Uh, keep that, keep us in the house. We're going to have to expand into districts that, you know, that, that are not, you know, strong democratic strongholds, marginal. And then, and then of course the Senate, um, the same thing, you know, when you look at these places, uh, like Missouri, North Carolina, uh, and and others that are up, uh, where we have open seats, it's going to be finding the right candidate, but, not just finding the right candidate, but start organizing now. Start registering voters in St. Louis. Start registering um, voters in, uh, uh, in North Carolina uh, and engage. Joe, you just hit the nail on the head, especially with talking about some of these Senate seats and news this week. Republicans are getting a little worried about one of the most what I think we'd both agree is one of the most important parts of the election is who they're recruiting to be the candidates. We talked a little bit about it with some of the Democrats last week, but this week the Republicans have three or four really out there candidates. You look at Mo Brooks in Alabama, who we're both very familiar with, uh, Eric Reitens in Missouri. And and now this week, I think the Hill is uh, Lara Trump said that she's actually thinking about getting in really seriously in North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she said she's absolutely interested in running in North Carolina. Uh, this is another one that uh, really helps, right? I, I mean, good luck uh, with the Republican Party uh, choosing its candidates in these primaries. Uh, I don't think it's going to quite work that way. If Laura Trump gets in, if you think that's a problem, and I, you know, I think a lot of Republicans do. Same as with Mo Brooks. The same with uh, Crichton's in uh, Missouri, and others. I mean, this is a, a problem. And we saw this with the Tea Party, by the way. Uh, it, you know, when the Tea Party was really roaring, the Republican Party writ large, the establishment, the McConnells, tried to stop those candidates from winning the primaries. They couldn't, and of course, it cost them a bunch of Senate seats in places like Delaware, Missouri, other places. So wasn't that uh, uh, Christine O'Donnell, the, the, in, in Delaware, that was a the wild witch. race. Yeah. She was the yeah, witch. That was, well, she was the witch self-proclaimed. So yeah, no, know, that's I not mean, us saying it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, uh, so no, I think um, this is real important too. I mean, in a series of, you look at what we've been talking about, you know, what's at stake and what Democrats have to do. The one thing that helps us, um, is this worry and concern about who the Republicans are likely to pick and who's likely to win these primaries? We can't suffer the same thing here. I mean, I, I'm all for primary. We should have well-fought, strongly-fought primaries. People always worry about it. Uh, I'm not really worried about it. There's a lot of unity on the Democratic side. We've got great candidates in some of these states. I mean, really good candidates. And, and in some states, we've got two or three great candidates uh, and they're going to, you know, they're going to have a, a battle, but we don't have anybody the likes of a Mo Brooks yet running on our side for, you know, with a with a real shot at the nomination. That's not happening in in places like North Carolina, where it might be a, a former uh, 
justice of the Supreme Court versus uh, uh, one of the, the first three African-American astronauts, you know, and, and other candidates uh, in North Carolina. Uh, I, I'd surely put uh, Heath Schuller, uh Sherry Beasley, or Higginbotham, uh, and some of the others that are running there. Uh, we may have tough primary, but given our issues, uh, there's no one out of step there uh, with the state and the way of Mo Brooks, who may be in step with the Trump uh, support in Alabama. But may and by the way, he may maybe he'll win that primary, but he's going to create the things he does and he says is going to create problems for Republicans right. in North Carolina and these other states when they have to move away from. Did you hear this guy say this crazy thing last week? We saw that with um, in 2017. In Alabama before, you know, could even could Alabama open up again? <laughs> I just, oh, you know, we, you think that only comes around once in a lifetime, but, you know, maybe, maybe. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Mo Brooks, especially because it, it seems like right now on the Democratic side, we don't really have anybody who not only, like you said, is controversial enough, but it's not like there's people who have like really strong support and it's like them or go home. It's kind of like if one of the great Dems in North Carolina doesn't make it through the primary, it's not like their supporters are going to sit out the the general and and, and leave them in the lurch. Yeah, I, we just don't have that right now. Uh, I think given the stakes, the party is really unified uh, around uh, and becoming, I think, more aware of what we need to do on the issues, uh, what we need to, to pass and why right now some of the pettier fights in the party are not worth risking, um, given where the Republicans are and how dangerous 2022 could be to the democracy, um, it, you know, uh, if we play those games. I mean, I, I I don't know. We see, play, you know, where AOC, people are talking about maybe she runs against Schumer. You know, that could be one place where we have a big, you know, ugly fight. Um, but I actually, I'll be fascinated to see whether that actually materializes. I don't think it will. Yeah. But that's still in a blue state, right? I mean, it's going to be tough. Well, for... that's, but Alabama's the same thing with Mo Brooks. I mean, yeah. uh, again, what Brooks says in that, uh, fight, uh, could impact the rest of the party writ large. We saw this again, going back to the, to Delaware, which, <laughs> O'Donnell, et cetera, where the things that they were saying that these candidates uh, uh, were saying in Missouri, the Tea Party candidates really painted the party, you know, painted with a broader brush the, the rest of the party. And they lost they lost where they should have picked up, this, you know, real a lot of more Senate seats than they did. Uh, it didn't work. So, yeah, I mean, it could hurt. Uh, that fight could hurt even if it is in New York, but I just don't see many of those, even if that one materializes. I think you could see them already opening up plenty of those kind of divide fights on the Republican side, and that's going to make a difference. Well, let's get back into into North Carolina for a minute, because this one's pretty interesting. You've got kind of this familiar Republican. Obviously, Burr's had his issues in the news the last couple of years, but he's kind of that familiar, almost establishment kind of guy. And all of a sudden, there's now this threat that he could get replaced with an extremist or a Trumpy or an actual Trump. Yeah, that's right. But you know, look, we Democrat. I mean, the, the one good thing is Democrats uh, have won statewide uh, in in North Carolina, current governor and other office holders. But the one thing you have to remember is, look, there 
I think of the 147 uh, that uh, voted to overturn the election, seven of the eight Republicans in North Carolina voted against certifying the election. I mean, seven of the 147 are... Or, a majority of the House delegation. Yeah. Not, I'm not a majority. I mean, yeah, yeah, of the House delegation from from uh, North Carolina, including, uh, you know, Madison Cawthorn, you know, controversy after controversy, uh, you know, Operation 147, which we launched a, a few weeks ago. We'll have some time uh, with him and, and these other, uh, the other six members. But they're going to be in there uh, pushing hard, probably for Laura Trump, unless one of them primaries her. So uh, I think all that lines up with Joe Biden, who's lowering the temperature. You don't have Trump. I mean, I'm sure he'll be out there, but he just doesn't have the same platform as president that he had as president to keep polarizing, to keep dry, every day, every minute of every day, um, you know, pounding the divide us versus them. Well, you know, right now, Biden's lowering that. I look across at who were looking at the likes of Heath Schuler or or Sherry Beasley or Hickenbotham, you know, and, and some of these others. And there are plenty of their gosh knows how many uh, Jeff Jackson and others are going to get in that race uh, or how many of them actually, you know, one of them may be able to clear the field, but there's not one of them who's going to, you know, raise the temperature. They're all people who I think fit more the Burr, if you will, persona of what a U.S. senator uh, for North Carolina uh, should be in Washington versus Laura Trump, uh, more division and, and more, you know, more craziness. But we'll see. Like I said, you, you seven of the eight Republicans in, in North Carolina voted against certifying the election. Um, we'll see if, how many of their uh uh, Republican rank and file are with them on that. I suspect a lot are. I think we have a real opportunity there. Well, the only other thing on North Carolina, is there anything we can learn from last year? I mean, it, the Cunningham race was kind of a face plan at the end. I think polls had him up seven or eight, and he lost by a point and a half after a scandal came out. Anything we can take from that? I don't think we can take much from the Cal Cunningham. Uh, uh, I clearly think it did cost... Uh, uh, Biden and uh, you know it, it uh, costs the the Senate seat the, the uh, you know and the electoral college votes and may have impacted some of these House votes that we're talking about. But I think that the lesson of 2020 is Georgia uh, for North Carolina. You know we've got 18 months right now to 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 get a real registration. And this is for the National Party. This is for Democrats writ large. Um, you know, it's we have 18 months to register thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who, if we engage them and get them to the polls, um, would would have definitely changed that vote um, in in uh, uh, 2020. Uh, Biden would have won the electoral votes there. It wasn't we didn't lose by that much. Um, and there are enough unregistered African-Americans, people of color, younger people, and combined with what I was talking about, Biden's ability to lower the temperature, uh, more GOP suburban women uh, who might find it appealing for Sherry Beasley, the uh, former uh, Supreme Court justice in, uh, uh, in North Carolina, or, or uh, Hickenbotham, 
one of the uh, black female astronauts, you know, some of those women may find a, a, a voting for a woman down there of that stature appealing uh, in lieu of voting for Laura Trump, who's just, you know, screaming division. Um, and how many, you know, after two or two years of calmness of not having to wake up every day to what the president said, I think that's, by the way, one of the things that, you know, everybody complains Biden's not doing press press conferences, not doing press, he's doing what he did one Thursday. But you know, the reality is, I, I think he's right. Who the hell wants to wake up every day to a presidential press conference right. to Joe Biden telling you what he did? So as that temperature goes down, I really think that some of these Republicans are going to say, now I'd rather have it like this and have Laura Trump yapping at me every day, but we'll see. So thanks for listening to that trippy show. Um, we will have uh, some of the articles that we talked about in today's show, uh, links to them in our show notes, along with people uh, we suggest you follow uh, on Twitter uh, who are writing and, and leading on these issues in terms of things you, you might want to read and know. If you have a race that you want us to spotlight or questions uh, for us, please submit it on iTunes in the review section or email us at thattrippyshow at gmail.com. Tell your friends and spread the word and hope to see you next Friday.